Well, one more time, welcome to Four Corners. My name is Ben. I'm so glad that you're here. We're in our second week of Blurred Lines, getting clarity from God's Word on love, sex, marriage, and dating. And today I want to talk specifically to men, but ladies, that doesn't mean that you're off the hook. In fact, I think you'll find today very uh, encouraging, uh, and I think you'll agree with most everything I say. If not, feel free to shoot me an email. Uh, my name is Greg, Greg at Four Corners Church. Uh, .com. All right, no, I'm kidding. My name is Ben, and I really, really am glad that you're here. Uh, last week, one of my major points was this, is that what we do in our past shows up in our present, and what we're doing in our present will show up in our future. There is a connection between our past, our present, and our future. And sometimes what we have to do is be honest about our past, be honest about our present if we want our future to be different. We have to be honest and be able to change. And before I start talking about all of us, I want to talk about our corporate past. In fact, I want to talk about the past of the Bible for just a few moments. Many of you know, some of you don't, that the, the New Testament that we read in our Bible, if you go to about the halfway point in your Bible, open it up, all the stuff to the right, pretty much the New Testament, that was written in the time of the Roman Empire. In, in, in a lot of ways, the Roman Empire, the, the Greek Empire, they are the they're part of our Western intellectual tradition, if you will. And a lot of what's going on in our culture today can be traced right back to that time. And it's very interesting then that when you read the New Testament and you discover the, the kind of cultural stuff that was going on in and around the time that the Bible was written, Jesus lived, the apostles wrote and did the church thing, you can discover a lot of the roots of the challenges that we have today go all the way back. For instance... When you look at the way women have been treated historically, in, Greek, in Greece, in Rome, all throughout uh, human history, they have an interesting way of engaging. There, there's an interesting way of engaging women in cultures. And in Rome, women, just to put it bluntly, were a commodity. They were the, res they were the result of the kind of transactional stuff that the video that we used to intro the message today talks about. Sex became a transaction. Women became a, mo a commodity. They were largely property. Well, let, me, let me tell you how bad it got. It got so bad in ancient Rome that marriage fell on hard times because if you had a legal marriage, a man and a woman together, when there was a death of the man, the woman got part of the property. And uh, property was a big, big deal. And who got it and how they got it was a big deal. So here's what men did kind of wholesale. Men wholesale in ancient Rome decided that marriage was too much of a challenge. So rather than having legitimate legal marriages, they opted instead to use prostitutes. Prostitution was the primary form of birth control in ancient Rome. Because if by chance you got a prostitute pregnant, you had no legal obligation to that woman or to her child. Her child, not your child, of course. Her child. And so marriage fell on very hard, hard times. Women, the, the status of women was largely, since they were a commodity, they were largely property. And unless they entered into a legal marriage, they had no real legal rights. Women had a rough go. Since they were largely property, you could largely treat them like a slave. And in ancient Rome, if you had a slave, if you had a woman, except for just the fewest, smallest accommodations for her legal standing, you could treat her however you wanted. You could beat her. 
You could have sex with her whenever you wanted, whether, no matter what she said or did. And, and if you had a legitimate slave as opposed to a woman that was largely treated as a slave, there was no limits on how you could treat a woman in ancient Rome. Now, when you move forward from ancient Rome to modern history, or, or over the 2,000 years or so since ancient Rome to today, all over our globe, the status, the value, the appreciation for women, well, that story is checkered. It's, a, it's an interesting thing when you look at how women are treated around the globe. One in four women born in India have a chance of ever reaching adolescence. One in four. To be born a woman in China, for many, many women, it's a death sentence. There's extreme population control attempting to be enforced from the top of the government down to the lowest segments of society. And the male heir, the one who can work and make money and contribute to the family and don't have to pay a dowry if the woman gets married, the male heir is the desired heir, the desired offspring. And to be born a woman is a challenge. That's what's going on in our world today. In our own country, sex trafficking, women as property, women as commodity. Some of you heard a little bit of the, the story of some of that stuff happening in and around the Super Bowl. It got a little light shined on it. But not just in and around major sporting events, of course. In our own city, in major cities, in small towns around the world. And with the propagation of the internet, the ability to commodify women, to treat them more and more like property, well, our ability to do that as a culture has just exponentially increased. To monetize them in some way. To get them to agree for a little bit of money to treat their bodies as property to view their actions as a business transaction and for somebody else then to make a lot of money off of that. It happens all the time. The pornography industry makes more money every year than all of the major sports, all the professional sports programs combined. Yeah, the, the status of women globally, historically, currently, it's a challenge. A little bit later, you're going to hear from, from, from uh, Lisa and, and Greg about what we're doing to help a handful of women in India. But today, I want to go well beyond just a handful of women, and I want to talk about why it was that when Jesus showed up on the scene in the middle of Roman culture, where women were little more than property, and unless you were married, you were property. Why, when Jesus showed up on the scene, it changed everything. Let me give you just two snippets from history of just how bad it was for women and how, how ugly the state of marriage had become. So Caesar Augustus, maybe you've heard of him, he stood before the Senate, and in 17 BC, he uttered these words that were from a poet a few years earlier, and he's trying to to quantify just how bad the state of marriage had gotten. And here's what he writes. He says, If we could survive without a wife, citizens of Rome, all of us would do without that nuisance. Sounds great, doesn't it? But since nature has so decreed that we cannot manage comfortably with them, nor live in any way without them, we must plan for our lasting preservation rather than our temporary pleasure. 
And a little bit later, when Augustus was Caesar, he issued a new law called the Lex Papia Popea in 9 AD. And in this law, he, infer- he enforced and encouraged and strengthened marriage. In fact, he made it illegal if you were of marrying age to not be married. That's how bad it got. They had to make laws to make people get married. The status of women was debased. In fact, when you, when you look historically through human history at cultures that most of us would agree have gone south, and at times in human history when people were treated the worst, the way we thought, talked, treated women was usually an early indicator of where the culture was headed. In Nazi Germany, all Jewish women were whores. All of them. In Rwanda, the Tutsis, they were cockroaches. And the women were whores. And so how you treated them didn't matter. And the moment you could depersonalize the woman, that was the moment you could start to treat them as a non-person, as a commodity, as a thing. That was true in our time. It was true in ancient Rome. And it proves a point that for some reason seems to be constantly debated. That it's a point that Christianity has always held. That not all cultures are equal. They're not. Not all cultures are equal. Christianity has always held that some cultures are qualitatively better than other cultures. Just because of the way they treat people primarily. So Jesus shows up on the scene in ancient Rome where women are a commodity, they're property, where marriage has fallen on hard times, when rather than having children, here's what a man would do. Three of the first five Caesars did this. Rather than having children of their own, legitimate children from a legal marriage, they would adopt a son at some point later in their adulthood so they didn't have the challenge of raising a son, but more importantly, so they wouldn't have to share the inheritance of the chosen son with a woman. They would adopt a son rather than have them. And Jesus shows up onto the scene and he begins to teach his disciples a different way. A different way of viewing people in general and women specifically. So one day, the apostle John was hanging around with Jesus and he hears Jesus utter words that stand in stark contrast to what was happening in the Roman world around them. So in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, John records Jesus saying these words. Let me give you a new commandment. Let me give you a new way of doing. Let me give you, my followers, a new way of life. Here it is. Love one another. Love one another. And I can imagine that in the crowd there was a group of people and some guy raises his hand and he says, Oh, Jesus, even women? Yes, even women. Love one another. In the same way I have loved you, you love one another. And then he goes even further. He says, And this is how everybody will recognize that you're my disciples. When they see the love you have for one another. The group. All of you. Men and women. How men treat women. How women treat women. How men treat men. How you treat the child. In fact, when you look at the status, 
those that have high legal status and significant economic power, when you look at that and you look at the low rungs of the totem pole, love everybody from the top to the bottom and everywhere in between and treat each other with love. And when you do that, the world will see a difference. They won't see the same culture played out. They will see a difference. And when they see the difference, they will then know that you truly are following me. Against the backdrop of the culture, following the new commandment, love one another. Treat each other with respect. Afford each other the dignity of being made each person in the image of God, male and female. Equal value, equal worth in the kingdom. You want to be a kingdom person, you have to follow this rule. Love one another. Not just John. All through the pages of our New Testament that was written in the middle of ancient Rome's decay. They decayed from the inside out so that after they had decayed on the inside, they were easy to defeat from outside forces. Will Durant wrote the series the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, and in it he chronicled their destruction from within, their moral decay that began with the way they viewed women and children. And they embraced a culture of sensuality and sexuality. And as they did that, all the stuff that propped Rome up to be strong, to be the force in the world that it was, All of that began to crumble from the inside out. And long before there were Mongol raids sieging Rome, it had fallen upon itself, decayed upon itself. And in that cultural milieu, Jesus comes and says, there's a different way of living. I've called my people to do it differently. And in cultures around the world today, Jesus looks at his followers and says, I've called my people to do it differently. Human beings have value. Men and women, each made in the image of their creator. So there's no surprise then when you continue to turn the pages of your New Testament that you come to Ephesians, a book written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a champion of the value of humans, the value of a human life. Not just Jewish people who had access to the ways of God and the knowledge of God that other people around the globe did not have. The Apostle Paul opens the door wide for Gentiles, non-Jewish people, to have that same access to the wisdom and truth of God. And to Jews and Gentiles alike, he elevates, because he's a follower of Jesus, he elevates the status of everyone, their value. You are not a commodity. You are not there for somebody else's pleasure. You are more than a transaction. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he writes these words to husbands. And by the way, if you're single, this still applies to you. Because in your dating, you're setting habits, practices, and your living values that are your present But don't forget that at some point your present will be your past. And the values and the activities and the behaviors you participate in dating, the practice for marriage, those things that you're currently doing, they will be your past so that in your future, those values are going to be the values that show up. So the Apostle Paul says this, husbands, love your wives. Don't just engage in legal 
accommodation of each other. Love your wives. And, and what does that love look like? Here's how he says it. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wait, 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 wait. Somebody in the back raised their hand. Wait, wait, do you really mean that I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loved the church? Didn't Christ die for her? Didn't Christ die for the church? And the apostle Paul would say, now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. Love your wives and give up everything for her. In another place, the Apostle Paul writes that Jesus decided it was okay, that it was a good thing for him to disrobe himself of his regal entitlement and condescend to be with us. He had every legal right to stay up here, but he chose to come down here and live among us. And in doing so, lended credibility and worth. By taking humility on himself, he lended credibility and worth to everybody he encountered. In the same way, men are to humble themselves and not take legal status, physical strength, the trappings of culture, and use any of that to leverage their power and their will to the harm of women. Never supposed to happen. Husbands, love your wives. Single men, treat women in loving ways, in ways that elevate their value and worth. Because what you're doing today in dating will set the tone and tenor of your marriage someday. Listen to me, single men. There are married men all around you that have been married 10, 15, 20, 30 years now. And they're old enough and wise enough now, and they're honest enough now to admit that the things that they did pre-marriage... And the years in college, the years spent on cultivating selfishness, multiple partners and serial monogamy and multiple sexual encounters, those things had a lasting and negative impact on their marriages. Many of them learned habits, set addictions that they could not break simply because they had a woman now that they wanted to do life with. They had the mistaken notion that they would do all of this stuff before marriage, but then once they got married, because they had a real person, everything would shift and change. And to their chagrin and to the harm of their marriage and to the harm of generations following them, they've discovered that things don't simply change. Your values don't shift simply because you got married. That you can't date like a slave owner. Dress in a tux and become a different man on your honeymoon. You can't do it. The way we treat women has lasting impact culturally. And it will have lasting impact on your marriage. And so Jesus shows up and his followers show up. And they say there's a different way to do life. A way that elevates women and the powerless and the weak. So not just John, not just Paul, but Peter. Peter was there with the woman at the well. Peter was there and saw the woman caught in the act of adultery. And he watched Jesus interact with these women who had been commodified. Who were nothing more than property in some real sense. At least as the culture defined them. 
And Peter, in writing his letters, two of which we have recorded for us in our New Testament, in the first one, he writes these words again to husbands. But every time you read the word husband, men who are single, don't think it doesn't apply to you. Don't think that one day you're going to be able to turn on the husband switch and become that thing that's going to likely lead to successful, long-term, lasting, loving relationships simply because you said, I do. Peter writes these words in 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Now that was different than the culture. That was different than Rome. Be considerate. What does that mean? It means consider them. Not just yourself. Consider them. You have a decision to make? Consider them. Probably consult them. Probably listen to them. I mean, how are you going to fully consider them if you don't hear them? Consider, be considerate with the wives as you live. Like in, in all the living stuff, in all the doing stuff. Treat them with respect. Wait, wait. Respect was owed to men, to people with position and power and money. No, no. Here's the way Jesus and Jesus' followers do it against the culture. They make a judgment against culture and say, bad. And instead, the good is Jesus calls us to be considerate and to treat them with respect. And women, don't get frustrated at this. As the weaker partner, it simply means that in most marriages, men would win you know, an arm wrestling contest. That's really all that it means, all right? That just because they don't have physical strength, just because they don't have legal standing, just because the culture has debased them, just because their identity doesn't matter and their bodies do, just because they're weaker, viewed as weaker, doesn't mean that you shouldn't be considerate and respectful. And here's why. Because like you, they are heirs. Now, now we're on to the Roman cultural misunderstanding that Jesus is correcting. Women are heirs with men. What kind of heirs? Heirs of the gracious gift of life. Jesus died for women and children and the lowest of society, not just the men. They're weaker partners, but they are heirs. They have equal standing with men as value and worth. And then Peter tags on a line that describes why for a lot of men, our prayers don't get answered. He said, because if you don't treat women considerately and respectfully, here's what's going to happen. Your prayers are going to get hindered. He says, Treat them as heirs of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. That's a, that's a little stark, I think. I mean, it's either in the word of God or not. That if you treat your wife, you treat your girlfriend, you treat women as a commodity. Even women that you're simply viewing through a screen somewhere. That that's going to have an impact on the way God answers your prayers. So Peter connects spiritual vitality in our connection to God with how we treat the women around us, specifically our wives. And I've been talking about the contrast between ancient, modern cultures and the Bible and Jesus. And I've pulled just four verses that show the contrast. What I could do to convince you that we value God's word around here is take one passage and spend 15 minutes on each verse parsing each Greek tense. But I want to do something else to make sure that we take God's word seriously today. 
I want us to use the overarching consistent theme of the scriptures that women have value and worth equal to men. And it's on the shoulders of men to make sure that that value gets lived out in culture. I wanted to trace it through just a handful of writers in several different genres of scripture to, to just kind of convince us that that's exactly what Jesus wants his followers to do. And for us to internalize these truths just a bit. To take God's word very, very seriously here. So I was preparing for this message. It convicted me so much that I had to go to my wife and ask her if it was okay for me to preach this. Because I, didn't, I don't ever want my wife or my kids to sit in a room and hear me give a message. And think that dad doesn't live up to that. Men, the weight is supposed to be heavy on you. God looks at you and says, I'm giving you the task to fight culture. To fight the message of this world. To fight the lies of the enemy. Satan is a liar. And wherever you find his lies, men, you have to carry the truth forward. Women will too, and we'll deal with them in a few weeks. But today, men, I want you to feel the weight of what God has put on your shoulders. And because culture historically has empowered you at levels they've never empowered women. And because culture historically has made women to be a commodity. That's why you can buy sexual slaves in America today. That's why Indian girls, one in four, make it to adolescence. That's why being born a, a woman in China is a death sentence. That's why pornography is growing and growing and growing, and it's no longer Hollywood slicks made in a studio somewhere on a back lot. It's now everyday men and women with their cams, their cameras in their own bedrooms, and they're trying to monetize a person's body without even considering the effect it has on their soul. And God looks at us men and he says, you're my follower, Here, here's the deal. People will know you're my follower by how you love each other. And John and Paul and Peter, the three biggest leaders of the early church, they said, here's the deal. How you treat women against the screaming lies of culture, that will make all the difference. I have a daughter. I, those of you that have daughters in the room, maybe, maybe you can relate on a level that others can't. No matter what I did, no matter how I thought, no matter my interactions relationally with women, I want the men who interact with my daughter to treat her like she is made in the image of God, that she has intrinsic value and worth, that she is more than a commodity. And when I think about just my heart for her, that is the heart of our Heavenly Father for every single woman that was ever born. It's as if God is saying to the men, to the married men, to the dating men, be careful how you treat my daughter. I think we will all stand before him one day and he will say literally, how did you treat my daughter? I like to picture God sitting on a front porch with a shotgun saying, y'all have a good time. I'll be here when you come back. So one day when Paul was writing, he writes these words and I offer them to every single man in the room. And I offer them to every married man in the room. I offer them to the boys who have beards. 
and the people in men's body who still think like children. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Here's our marching orders today. When I was a child, when I was immature, unrefined, undeveloped, when I hadn't grown up, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. Why? Because I'm a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. I talked, thought, reasoned, acted, engaged, related, had sex, viewed porn like a child. But when I became a man, when I took on the mantle of a man of God, when I took Jesus' words seriously, love one another, when I heard Peter say, husbands, in the same way be considerate, when I heard Paul say, husbands, respect and honor, I put those ways behind me. What is it going to take, men, for us to become men? A couple weeks ago, pastors Matt and Greg spoke on a powerful, powerful passage in our New Testament. Romans 12 and 2. About renewing your mind, being transformed. Here's what it says. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world any longer but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And all this sounds very spiritual. But let me tell you something, man. The teachings of Jesus, if you follow them, they will set you up for what you want in life anyway. And you may not know you want it now because you're still a child. You're still thinking and acting and reasoning like a child. But when you grow up, this is what you're going to want. Loving, lasting relationship, full of life and vitality that lingers through the ups and downs, the normal ups and downs of life. And she stays with you and she respects you. And when she looks at you, she loves you, respects you, and honors you in large part because of the way you treated and valued her. That's really what you want. And Jesus gives you the pathway to get there. Honor them. Treat them with respect. Every single woman, the ones you marry and the ones you don't, the ones that keep texting you and getting on your nerves, the ones sitting on the other side of a camera taking off their clothes, treat them with honor, dignity, and respect as a person made in the image of God. That is becoming a man. So how do you renew your mind here? I want to give you two big points. They relate to entertainment. What we entertain ourselves with, what we find respite with, what we rest with, what we relax with, what we laugh at, says a lot about our values. And men, when you listen to your playlist on your electronic media, to songs that talk about women as bitches and whores, what you're doing is you're filling your mind. I know it's just culture. It's just entertainment. It's just the way of the world. It doesn't mean anything. It's not a sin. Against the music of our day that calls women bitches and whores, there's a Jesus that stands and says, no, they're made in the image of the creator. They are more than that. And that music is more in line with Nazi culture, the way 
of the, of the Rwandan massacre, the, the way of ancient Rome, and it's not in the way of Jesus. It is a part of being a child, and God calls us to put the ways of childhood behind us and become men. And before the sun goes down today, one of the best things you can do is delete that stuff off your playlist. Because in engaging culture anywhere where women are depersonalized, it will have an impact on you. And more importantly, by raising up a standard in these small things, you're teaching and training and disciplining yourself to walk in the values of God. The, the, other, the other way that I want to talk about the way we entertain ourselves with men is looking at erotic images. Looking at erotic images. I think every guy I've ever known wants to see naked women. Most of them. I mean, I kind of liked it. Um, I hope it's okay, to be honest. You know, if there was a a naked lady that ran through the stage here, like, you know, ran across, first of all, it'd be odd because we're in church. Number two, most men would look. Most women would look too, and then they'd shake their heads, you know. Wouldn't quite grab their attention other than the scandal of the moment. I mean, after all, it's the human body, right? You can call it porn, you can call it whatever you want. But here, here's the truth. When you look at erotic images, it does something. There are three lessons. Every time you look at an erotic image, you're going to school. And there are three lessons that it teaches you. Here's the first lesson that, that pornography is teaching you, that erotic images are teaching you. That a real body is not enough to satisfy you. A real body. Unless it's been augmented, tucked, airbrushed, it's not enough. A real body is not enough to satisfy me. Number two, here's a second lesson that erotic images are teaching you. That one body is not enough to satisfy me. But there's a third lesson. It's a third lesson that erotic images are teaching men all around the world. And unfortunately, ladies, it's teaching some of you as well. That your body is not enough to satisfy me. A real body, one body, and your body. If you're my wife, your body's not enough. I need this other stuff. Now, men, I know you don't think that's what it's teaching you, but there are men who are in this room that are much older than you, and they now have the perspective of time and wisdom. They're able to be honest with themselves. And they will tell you (laughs) that, that erotic images engaged over and over and over again, it does something to you on the inside. Do you realize that in World War II, the U.S. government gave away cigarettes to as many as, as, as the servicemen wanted. They, they didn't contemplate the long-term effect. But now, of course, you can't even find a place to smoke hardly in public. But we learned. We grew. We, we grew up as a culture. When pornography was in its heyday in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, it seemed like, you know, fair play. I'm, I'm not dishonoring any real woman. It's just these women behind the screen or on the page. But now the research is coming clean. And the research is showing that pornography has a detrimental effect on a man. That, it, that, that overexposure, regular exposure to erotic images will actually destroy your desire internally. That your real experiences won't compare and so your desire for real experiences will go down. And there are women in the room right now having aha moments. Ex- explaining why there's this gap sometimes in the, in the sexual function of your marriage. Single men, here's the most honest thing you can do with the next girl you date. Take her by the hand, 
take her to dinner, sit across the table from her and say, here's the deal. Before we get very far in this relationship, before you give me your heart to make sure I don't break your heart later, here's the truth about me. I want you to know this, that a real body is never going to satisfy me. That one body is never going to satisfy me. And ultimately, your body won't satisfy me. So Jesus looks at his followers and he says, whether it's on a screen, on a page, or standing next to you, or you go to school with, or you're playing on a field with them, wherever they exist, men, women are to be valued. They're not a commodity. They're not here for your pleasure. Over the next few weeks, we're going to keep drilling down on Jesus' message about love, sex, marriage, and dating. And I'm going to take you right back to the same place I've taken you a few times over the years as we've been together. Why do you think our Heavenly Father says, do sex this way and not this way? What's motivating him? Does he just want to kill your joy? Or is he trying to protect what ultimately you really want anyway? A loving, lasting, long-term, life-giving, vital, full of laughter and love relationship. So with that said, Let's take some next steps together as a congregation. Here's what I think we should do. I think there's some folks in the room that need to just accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior for the very first time. So by grace, no matter where you're coming from, you just accept him. And you say, God, I'm a sinner. I've blown it. The ways of culture have filled me up. I don't want to do it anymore. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And he'll come in and wash you, make you clean, give you a fresh start. So next step A is, I'm accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you'll check the box, put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by, we'll communicate with you this week about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In a minute, I'm going to pray. And you can use your words, you can borrow mine and look up to God and say, God, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I want you to be my Savior. I want you to wash me clean. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Now how about next step B? You want to get baptized. It doesn't mean you're all cleaned up, but it's symbolic of the washing that Jesus does. And it's the first steps you make as an adult believer. It's among the first steps you make that says to the world, I'm with Jesus. And it may take me a while, but his values are being internalized in me. How about next step C? Just bold here. Here we go. I'm going to take six months to a year off dating. To grow clear. To grow and to be clear in my mind and in my heart. To internalize the value of Jesus. Set a date on your calendar six months a year from now. And give up all dating. And just think, I'm going to focus on Jesus' values before I re-engage relationships. I want to make sure that when I do, I have his values guiding me. How about next step D? Aggressively limit the derogatory music and all erotic images that I hear and see. Aggressively. Get an accountability partner. Take the step. Email me privately. Ben at fourcornerschurch.com and I'll send you tools. But deal with this thing. It will have impact on your life, detrimental over your life. How about next step E? Invite someone to join me for the rest of Blurred Lines, getting clarity on love, sex, dating, and marriages. And together, let's take God's word seriously. After all, all this stuff was his idea to begin with. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your grace. God, I want to thank you for the truth of your word that stands against culture. I want to thank you that in your eyes, men, women, children, we all have value, we all have worth, we're all made in your image. I lift up those that are accepting you as their Lord and Savior for the very first time. They're declaring, Jesus, forgive me, be the Lord of my life. God, I pray for those of us that need to make a hard break with dating until we can walk more clearly your values. 
God, I pray for the men in this room who bought the lies of culture, sometimes without even knowing it. And the way we entertain ourselves isn't taking us down the right path. Lord, I lift up those people that aren't in this room that need to be engaging with clarity your word. I pray it all in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen. Amen.